The Copywriter Club podcast is sponsored by Airstory, the writing platform for professional writers who want to get more done in half the time. Learn more at airstory.co forward slash club. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 87 as we talk with copywriter and business owner Paul Martinez about digging deep to turn things around after losing it all, the importance of sales skills and copywriting, emotional hot buttons and what really makes people buy, and what it takes to create successful promotions for companies like Motley Fool, Soundview, and Nature City. Hey, Paul. Hi. Hi, guys. How's it going? It's going great. Great to be here. Yeah, we're stoked to have you here. So, Paul, a great place to start is with uh, how you ended up as a copywriter. Yeah, sure, sure. So, I began my journey actually in the real estate world. Well, going a little further back, my background is actually I went to school for fiction writing and then ended up getting an English degree, but pretty quickly realized that, you know, that wasn't really going to pay the bills. So, I ended up in real estate and actually discovered that I really liked sales. And I was pretty good at it. I studied it a lot. I uh, got better and better. But there was a problem that I didn't know how to generate leads. And, you know, this was 2000, 2001. Real estate marketing at that point was, believe it or not, still really based around cold calling. Like literally going through this thing called a Coles directory, which was like a phone book, but it had like a little diamond next to the people who owned a house. And my broker told me to just like call those people and ask them if they want to sell their house. And I did that for probably five or six months <laughs> like hours a day. And I got nothing from it. And finally, one of these other brokers at the office was like, Hey, man, you got some letters. It's way better. You know, you spend a few hundred bucks on stamps, you hire some kid from college to, to fold them up and stuff the envelopes and boom. And, and he showed me kind of the rough way he did it. And so I instantly started working, right? I started listing property, making money. And then I got interested in this, you know, like, how do I make these letters better? So I started looking into copywriting, I discovered Dan Kennedy and you know, Jay Abraham, and ended up going into a real estate coaching program with a guy named Craig Proctor, who's one of Dan Kennedy's protégés, or the copy was a huge, huge piece of it. And through that, you know, I went through the coaching, I went through their graduate coaching, um, my real estate business grew and grew and grew as I got better at writing copy and, you know, better at implementing things. You know, like I started exploring Google AdWords really as soon as it came out was that was a great, great way to get real estate leads back in 2003, 2004, when they started getting big. But I pretty quickly realized that, you know, I didn't actually like <laughs> driving around in my car and like going to listing appointments and walking through buildings and all this stuff, like all hours of the day and working, you know, six or seven days a week. So I started getting more into the copywriting thing. And I knew all these really high level agents, you know, really successful agents and brokers for my coaching programs. And they all got copywriting, they all got marketing. So I started kind of working, doing some side jobs for them. And I think my first job, you know, I, this guy wanted me to do some Google AdWords stuff for him. And this was probably like 2005, 2006. And I was like, all right, it's going to take me like two or three hours. Uh, that'll be like 1500 bucks. And he was like, no problem. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So maybe I can actually do this. So I was still doing real estate, but you know, obviously 2007, the market started to shift. 2008, 2009, it really, you know, I'm sure everyone remembers that there was a little small recession around then focused on the real estate industry. So not only did my real estate business collapse, my side business writing for real estate agents collapsed because suddenly these agents who are making five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year 
were making like 50 or 60 grand and scraping by and couldn't pay their own bills. So they certainly weren't going to pay me to write copy. And that's when I kind of had to make a decision at that point. You know, I had honestly burned out on the real estate game. It's real high pressure, very, very cutthroat. Uh, You do not get paid unless the deal closes. So, you know, if you can go three months working on, say, like an investment building sale and it can fall apart at the last minute over something stupid and, you know, you thought you were going to make fifty or $60,000 and now you've got nothing, oh you know, it's a constant up and down. And I kind of just was like, you know what, real estate's not working. I'm just going to shut down the business. <laughs> at that point, <laughs> I couldn't even sell it because it wasn't worth anything anymore. It went from being, you know, probably worth $1 million, $1.5 million to nothing wow. <laughs> in about 12 to 18 months. And during that time, you know, I had also had some personal stuff going on where I'd lost three really good friends in a year, had a four-year relationship end suddenly, you know, and I kind of, it all happened in 2008. And finally, I was just like, you know what? I need a new start. I need to go do something else. I'm just going to hang out my shingle as a freelance copywriter and see what happens because it it couldn't possibly be any worse than real estate right now. And it's, you know, the only thing I can think that I really love doing. I'm trying to put my feet in your shoes and going through that experience, having all that hit at once, it must have been at some level terrifying to lose all of that stuff. Why did you think that copywriting was the thing to move you forward? Well, I mean, I'd already had some success at it. You know, like I said, I'd already been getting paid as kind of a side gig to write copy for other real estate agents. And, you know, I had been studying internet marketing for a while. So I knew that people paid copywriters a good amount of money to do their thing. And I was like, well, there's no reason why I can't do this. You know, it's it's just I've got to learn another business the same way I learned real estate. I can learn the business of copywriting. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I guess for me, you know, that fear of failing is like, well, so what, right? (laughs) At that point, my entire life had fallen apart. I mean, and and when I say fallen apart, I mean, like, I went bankrupt. My condo got foreclosed on. I was almost homeless. I lost everything I had worked for. And again, you know, I had a, a guy who was like a second father to me passed away. Three days later, a really good friend of mine died in a motorcycle accident. A few months later that, another mentor of mine passed away from cancer. And then, you know, the woman who I was with for four years and was actually planning to uh, ask to marry me came back from a yoga retreat and dumped me. Oh, my God. Wow, that must have been some yoga retreat. Yeah, so I was like, you know, I've got nothing else to lose. So let's see what happens. Wow. Okay, so uh, let's see if this question comes out correctly. But how do you manage all of that at a time like that when you're losing people who are close to you, losing a relationship, losing your business, like losing your mind? How do you deal with it while you're in it? Well, for me, I mean, I was lucky that I had some really close friends that helped me through it. You know, one of them, her partner had been a flight attendant. So like she was able to fly me out to visit them in LA for free. So I stayed with them for a few weeks and kind of got some space from my life situation. Went down to visit my brother who also lives in California. He's down in San Diego, stayed there for a little bit. So kind of got some breathing room, came back and then connected with a really just great group of people actually through a meditation center in Cambridge, Massachusetts you know, a bunch of people around my age, we were significantly younger than the general crowd there. And we all kind of went off and just became like a a tightly knit group of friends and, you know, people looking for support and also willing to lend support. So having that was huge. And of course, my family was there too. But at that stage, you know, it was so, so much loss in such a short time, just one thing probably wouldn't have been enough. It's interesting to hear you tell that story, because it gives some context. I've heard you talk about how important it is for you to spend time with your family today, especially with your daughter. It feels like there's a direct relationship between losing it all and now understanding what you've got and the opportunity that you have with your copywriting business to spend time with your family. Yeah. And I have two sons too, who are just 11 months old now. So it's still a balancing act, right? Because you know, copywriting can be very demanding. It's a deadline-driven business. But it's really, really important to me to have that balance. And that was actually one of the reasons I decided to go with copy because of copywriting. Because I was like, well, it's freelance. 
I can work from home or work from a coffee shop. You know, I may have to work a lot, but I can kind of structure my hours around other things in my life. And I don't have to give up everything in my life for a business, which is what I do with real estate. So I'd like to hear just what you learned from your time in real estate. Like what business advice would you give to copywriters who are trying to build their business based off what you learned growing this business that was worth a million dollars at one point? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is, and this may sound a little silly because it's kind of self-evident, I think, but I learned how to sell. Right? I learned how to sell face-to-face. I learned how to anticipate and answer objections. I learned how to understand what's important to people. I did a lot of work with investors, but my team also, we also did a lot of buyer and seller work for just people buying and selling homes and understanding the motivations of each home or you know, a retired couple selling their home and moving down to a condo has a very different set of expectations, needs, wants, and worries than anyone else. And you have to understand those and talk to people about that stuff so they feel understood. And what I always get from my clients are like, you know, we feel like you're the first one who's actually listened to us. We've talked to five real estate agents and you're the first one who actually listened. And I think that actually came from my writing background because when I was doing the fiction writing programs, I did a lot of short story work. And I had a mentor who really pounded into my head that you have to love your characters. And the, the way you build your characters is you have to care about people and you have to understand what motivates people and you can't judge them. You have to really have a lot of empathy because when a writer doesn't care about their characters, you can tell. You can feel the judgment in the, in the writing. You can feel that there's no connection there. But when a writer has empathy for their characters, it draws you in and you find yourself, even if they're a terrible person, you know, you kind of get drawn into this character, right? So I think that lesson, without realizing it, applied to my sales work. And, you know, I also learned the mechanics of sales, like how to ask for the sale, you know, how to, how to walk people along that path until there's just logical. The next thing to do is just to sign that contract, which again, that came in really helpful for copywriting because, you know, in good copy, You've got to build empathy, show them you understand that you get their problem. And not only do you have a solution, but you've got to walk them along the path, right? You can't just say, hey, I've got this great new thing and buy it. You know, you've got to answer the objections. You've got to kind of get them excited about it. You've got to move them faster and faster and faster until when they get to that order button. It's the only logical option, right? Like it's the only thing you should do. Right. So I'd like to hear about how you built your copywriting business. You know, you started, well, you didn't start from scratch. You'd had copywriting experience and some jobs, but you were really building this new business. What did it take to start lining up clients and getting some steady work to be able to buy a new place and afford the things that you needed at the time? So, you know, I started out doing the kind of thing that a lot of people do, which is like having a website and driving leads to it. You know, at the time, Google AdWords, this was 2008, 2009. So like Google AdWords was really the only game in town. I mean, you could do like back then it was Yahoo. Now it's Bing. That had some traffic, but Google was really the game. But by that time, you know, so many people were using it that so many keywords were so expensive. There was no way you're making money on them. So, and, and frankly, a lot of the clients I got from there were not great. Where I did get a lot of good clients was, you know, I, I kind of found marketing websites and just asked them if they wanted me to write for them, you know, just write articles. And I actually got a great long-term client through that, a few great long-term clients, actually. So one thing I would say is if you can not only have your own blog where you talk about stuff, marketing-related things and copy, but if you can get on to like a good, a, someone else's blog that has some authority and some impact, you know, because these people are always looking for content. And if you have good content and can write well and say interesting things, even if it's not news to you, because as copywriters, we assume that like, people know what we know. But for a lot of small business owners, like <laughs> they don't know anything about copy. So like we're magicians. So if we just explain the very basics. They think we're awesome. So stuff like that, I think, is, is really, really effective. The key, I think, is finding the right people to partner with. And, you know, it can be a little difficult starting out to prove that you can really provide good content. And of course, you're doing it for free, right? Like they're not paying you. 
That's the other thing. So a lot of people have a hard time getting their head around that. But the return on investment can be huge. And again, that actually also came out of real estate because I convinced the local newspaper to let me write a real estate column once a month. So once a month, I basically took you know, a common real estate problem that I wrote about in sales letters, took that sales letter, turned it into an article so it wasn't so salesy, and then submitted it. And so people would be like, oh, yeah, I've seen you in the paper. So that, again, got me a lot of business in real estate and it got me a good amount of business in copy. But as far as like what really makes a difference for me, it wasn't until I started really going to events and networking with people and meeting people who were you know, higher up the food chain, so to speak, that I started really, really doing well. I mean, I had a lot of connections through Paris. And, you know, I'd known Brian Kurtz for a long time, and that had always been a good source of business. But as I expanded that network, not only did the network directly feed me business, but, you know, I got referrals. So, you know, again, that also comes from real estate, right? Always ask for referrals, obviously do great work so you can get referrals, but then always ask for them, you know, and, and allow your network to feed you. Because if people are really happy with what you do, they will more than likely give you more business. They'll tell you about someone else who could use your services. Even if they're in the same industry, I've had marketing managers, you know, in the nutritional industry say, hey, these guys aren't our direct competitors because they're too small, but they may be a good match for what you're doing right now. So why don't you give this guy a call and, you know, he needs some help with some sales letters, you know, so, and that's all because of asking for it, right? I definitely want to ask more about the networking aspect of how you've grown your business, but I want to go back to the first pitches that you were making to, you know, marketing sites. You want to write for them. What were you saying to them? What did the pitch look like? Because I hear from a lot of people who try cold pitching that it doesn't work or that it's not working for them. And so I'm curious, what was the message that you were pitching and is just offering free services enough or was there more to it than that? I would send them an article. I would write something that was like, hey, you know, I would like to write for your website. I really like what you're doing. And it would be sincere. Like I would, you know, if somebody's got a garbage site that they sell crap, I don't want to be associated with that. So, you know, be sincere with why you want to work with them and then send them a sample. Like say, hey, here's an article. Just check it out. You know, we're talking like 500 words, right? On literally any copywriting topic. I mean, any copywriter could probably crank out 10 of these in a week without even breaking a sweat in your spare time. I mean, some of them would be like, why a headline is important, you know, how to ask for the order, <laughs> why people don't buy from you. Okay, here's five reasons why people don't buy from you. Stuff that we know, like I said, stuff that we take for granted, but that a lot of people are reading this stuff. It's like a revelation. So you mentioned networking. What did that look like for you early on? And you also, you know, you mentioned Paris, Brian Kurtz. So how were you even introduced to these big names like Paris and Propolis and Brian Kurtz? I mean, how do you get into a room with them to begin with? Ah. And then how do you continue to network and <laughs> do it the right way beyond that? I really prefer calling them relationships because networking to me implies it's just very sterile back and forth exchange. It doesn't really hit on the fact that when I network, I only want to do business with people that I really like and connect with and that I think are a good fit and that offer something that I think has actual true value in the marketplace. So as far as Paris, you know, I actually connected with him via a friend who I met at a Dan Kennedy group that met in Boston. And me and this guy hit it off. He was another copywriter. Uh, we're still buddies today. And it was like 2009, he called me up and I was like, hey, man, you know, there's this guy named Paris Lampropolis. I was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> he's like, he's a really big copywriter, but he doesn't like his name out in public. But he's looking for copy cubs. And, you know, I don't want to do it because I have my own thing. But I think it'd be really good for you. So here's his number. I told him you're going to give him a call. And he's going to want to see like what you think your best sales letter is. So, you know, I, I called him up. And he was like, oh, I'm really busy. Uh, let's sit time to talk. Okay, bye. <laughs> and we finally get on the phone. Oh, and he asked me to send him the sales letter I wrote. And he proceeded to just like tear it apart. <laughs> this is like the second phone call, right? Well, this was like the first phone call was like very brief. I mean, literally okay. like, hey, 
okay, send me this thing, and then we'll talk in like a week after I have a chance to look at it. Okay, bye. It's like that long. <laughs> and then the other call was like an hour. And first, you know, after he, I should say, before he tore apart my sales letter, he asked me things like, what's in your bookcase? You know, he wanted to hear all the copywriting books that I read. So I, I ran through everything I had. And apparently that was enough for him to be like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and then he asked me about my background, you know, where did you come from? So I told him about being a real estate. And I think that helped because he actually has a real estate background as well. And yeah, and then, you know, apparently, even though he hated my sales letter, he felt it was decent enough to get me in the door. <laughs> So I ended up in mid-2009 starting in this copy code program with Paris. And, you know, starting, I mean, realizing that I thought I knew what I was doing and suddenly realizing that I was totally clueless. You know, I've been writing my own copy for, you know, a good eight years at that point. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, just the other people in the group, too, were just, you know, on a much, much higher level. I was definitely the low man on the totem pole. You know, you had, like, Barnaby Kalen was in there. Uh, Barnaby at that time had already written controls for boardroom. Leah Carson, who's now moved on from the copywriting world, but was, you know, also doing really big stuff. A guy named Alexi Neocleus, who's like the number one copywriter in Australia. He's like the Dan Kennedy of Australia, basically. Wow. Yeah, hugely successful business. He actually was, uh, you guys know who Ed O'Keefe is, right? Yeah, he, I think he was Ed's. He was working with Ed for a long time as well. So a lot of the stuff that, you know, I think the, the strategy was actually maybe Alexi's that took Ed to the next level in the last couple of years. Brilliant, brilliant guy. I mean, Ed's brilliant too, but I think the two of them together was just like the perfect mix. Yeah. And it was just an amazing mix of people. And, you know, Paris, once you're in, you get it all. He, you know, takes you through the entire process, you know, starts you at the very beginning and this kind of builds you up over time. And I was with him for, as an officially a copy cub until probably late 2016. So it was a good seven years or so. And then I, it wasn't that I left. I mean, our, our copy cub group, he kind of wound it down because he was starting a new group with a new group of cubs. Yeah. Interesting. So I know a lot of the stuff that Paris teaches, it's confidential, proprietary, and most people who are in there don't even talk about their experience. I'm really curious though, what were some of the ahas that you had? You know, you mentioned that you realized that you were doing everything wrong, especially early on. What were some of those light bulb moments that you had as you started working through the frameworks and the constructs that Paris was sharing? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff is confidential, but I think I can share some of the big picture stuff that got me really hit me over the head. So, you know, at the time I was writing a lot of like, okay, it wasn't as good as John Carl or Dan Kennedy, obviously, <laughs> but I was trying to write like them. And, you know, Dan and John are really good at understanding what motivates people and their underlying emotions and their headlines and copy play to that. But people see it and they see the hype, right? They don't get the mechanics behind it. So at the time I was doing a lot of that, I was imitating the hype, you know, the amazing real estate secret of a one-legged golfer from Arizona, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I look back and I wince. But I mean, it worked, right? Like that wasn't a literal headline, but I mean, it was along those lines. And Paris's thing was like, look, you don't get what's going on here. You don't know what you don't know yet. So the biggest thing here is think about sitting across from someone, someone you really care about. And this is a really important thing that they need to use. And you've got to convince them. Mm. Right. And that's like huge. And we hear it all the time, right? We hear yeah, it's like a letter to a friend. Copywriting is like a letter to a friend. Yeah. But what does that really mean? Right. And that's all that. Paris just said it in a different way. You know, that's really what it boils down to, right? It's you're writing a letter to a friend or better yet, you're speaking to someone you really care about, a really close friend that you love and care about. And they've got a problem that you have the solution to. You really think it would help them. And then how would you do that? Would you scream in their face? <laughs> no, maybe. No, of course you wouldn't. I mean, you would, you would maybe be emphatic about it, right? You may even raise your voice and, and pound the table to make a point, but you know, you're doing it because you care. 
right? So you have to care, like you have to care about your customers. Because if you don't, like, again, that'll come right through in your copy. Just like I said earlier about when fiction writers create characters, they have to love their characters. They have to have empathy for their characters. You have to like your character, but you have to have empathy for them. The same thing with your customers. Like I write a lot, I'm pretty liberal. And I write a lot for the financial and health markets, which skew pretty conservative. You know, I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's tough for me. I know all these people are Trumpers. But here's their problem. And I have empathy for their problem. And I understand where they're coming from, you know, and I want to help them solve this problem. I don't just want to sell them a thing just to sell them a thing. So as a copy cub for seven years, did you know that you were getting into it for seven years when you first said yes to Paris? I, mean, I, don't, I don't think the seven years is an like, official plan. You know, that's how long we, some of us just hung around that long. A long time. <laughs> Yeah. And then Paris was like, all right, kicking you out of the nest. Get out of here. Go off on your own. I got this. But he did say, you know, this is a long-term commitment. You're going to spend a lot of time working on stuff for me that you're not getting paid for. Basically homework, which we had every week <laughs> for years, which took a ton of time and took me away from paying clients. He was very upfront about that. He's like, you know, this is probably going to cost you a lot of money in the short term. But in the long term, you know, if you follow through, you know, you'll be able to be at the upper tier of what copywriters are getting paid because you'll be able to get the results that people pay for. So when you're in it, you're not getting paid for the projects you're working on. It's just really training. Oh, no, no, no. So we may like do stuff like write bullets for homework on a project. I also did projects with Paris. And of course, I got paid for those. But at times, you'd be like, okay, well, we're going to use this as as a homework example. So here's a thing for boardroom that we're working on. Write bullets. And then next week, we'll rip them apart. And I'll tell you what's good and what's bad. And then we'll redo them. And then when the next week, we'll come back and we'll edit them again. And through that process, you learn how to write really, really good bullets. Right. So there's also a context to it, right? Like you have an actual product you're writing for. Otherwise, it wouldn't really work very well if you didn't have that was a real thing you were writing to. So if a copywriter is listening and they're like, oh, this sounds so awesome, you know, but I don't know Paris and Paris may not even want me to be a copy cub. There are only so many people that can be one of his cubs. What would you recommend to someone who's hungry to get some type of training and education like that? Well, I think the first thing is like Paris is not probably going to not take someone or work with someone who's like really green. Or like doesn't have some experience under their belt. You know, a lot of it comes through, again, personal referral or people he meets at events. He's impressed with their work. So I would say if you're starting out, you know, like the AWAI course, John Carlton's freelance course, awesome, awesome course. The thing that's super unpopular right now, hand copy controls. It totally works. I know people think it doesn't. (laughs) It's super boring. I'm left-handed and I have terrible handwriting. And Paris made us hand copy so much stuff. I have notebooks and notebooks filled with hand copied controls. But I got to tell you, it makes you way better as a copywriter. And I know people who are making $500,000, a year as copywriters, and they still do it. Okay, so what's the why behind that? Because you're right. I hear a lot of people saying it and a lot of people who say they swear by it. And then I hear others like, uh, you know, it's more important to study the reasons why rather than to copy. Like for you, Paul, what was the psychology behind it? Why did it work? So, yeah, I hear both arguments. And the thing I think people who say it's more important to understand the reason why I don't understand is that when you hand copy things, it forces you to break it down and look at why it works, right? And also by hand copying things, you remember them, you imprint them on your brain. So people who hand copy like lecture notes retain more information than people who type it on a computer, right? Actual scientific studies. So I assume it's the same mechanism with bullets. And, you know, this is not an unusual thing. Like, you know, Great painters throughout history, how did they learn how to paint? They copied masters. They learned technique by copying the masters. Writers, same thing. I was told in fiction writing programs, if you love a writer, hand copy their work. You'll understand the flow and you'll sort of break down their writing. You'll naturally start to understand. And then you can actually intellectualize and be like, oh, okay, this is why they did that thing. 
But you may not see that unless you slow down and actually go through the process of writing it out by hand. Okay, because we're digging into this, I want to ask, you know, for, again, for a new copywriter, and they're like, cool, I want to do that. Where do I find a really good control to hand copy? Because my concern would be that, uh, especially when you're new, you end up copying something that's actually not that great, and you get worse, or you just don't improve because you're copying crap. Right. I mean, I think one thing you want to do is look at what companies are killing it right now in the direct response space. So like Stansberry, right? Stansberry has awesome copy. Money Map, awesome copy. Agora Financial, awesome copy. They're all Agora companies noticed. Boardroom, you know, awesome copy. The easy way to get this stuff, by the way, is if you subscribe to like one financial newsletter from Agora, like if you subscribe to like Stansberry Research's, I think it's like $99 a year letter, you'll get all their copy. They'll just send you promotions forever. Same thing if you buy like a product from Agora Health, they'll put you on all their mailing lists. You'll get all their controls. will just show up in your mailbox. Same thing with Boardroom. Order something from Boardroom. You'll start getting stuff. And anything that consistently shows up in your mail, that's good. You know, or in your, in, or in your inbox. You know, that's another thing. I always keep an eye on what's coming through my inbox from different companies. Because if I see something more than a couple of times, I know that it's working. Right. So that goes into a little file. And I'm like, okay, that's obviously something that's winning for them. The other thing I look at is, you know, when you read articles online, you go look at those little ads on the bottom. And if there's anything that's like direct response related, like the one weird trick or, you know, the James Altucher ads that were everywhere for the Bitcoin, like they're spending a lot of money on those. Obviously that works. So, you know, you click on that, follow it. If you can get a transcription of that VSL, just by, you know, you go to close and ask if you want to see it, hit print and save it as a PDF so you can analyze it later. If not, just go to Rev and they'll transcribe it for you probably. But that's what I do. I mean, I, whenever I see something that catches my eye and I see it consistently in those little display ad network things, I'm like, obviously this is working. Let's check it out and see what they're doing here. Somebody's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on those ads, right? So obviously they're getting results. So obviously that control that whatever they're sending it to is a really strong control because no one sends cold traffic to a crappy control. So Paul, I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned that you talked about the books that you read, you know, uh, as you started working with Paris and you're talking about this process is like hand copying, that kind of a thing. Now that you've gone through that process, you know, 10 years later, how do you stay sharp? You know, what are you reading today or what are you doing today uh, to that's beyond what you were doing, you know, as you were getting started as an A-lister or an almost A-lister, however you want to call yourself? (laughs) So this is maybe not the best advice for other copywriters. I don't read a lot of copywriting books anymore. I don't really read a lot of business books anymore. There's books that kind of get my brain going. And then there's stuff I read because I enjoy the stories of you know, fiction. So like looking at my bookcase right now, you know, there's a bunch of Raymond Carver books. Raymond Carver is a fantastic writer to emulate for anyone, just I think because he packs a ton of emotion into very simple, sparse, sparse language. Yeah, and they're great stories, too. I mean, they're, they're compelling. Yes, great stories. Yeah. And they're short. So there's some really good copywriting lessons in Raymond Carver. I don't say you should try to write exactly like him. Obviously, he was a master at what he did. But the biggest thing there is, you know, show, don't tell. And by showing, all this stuff gets implied about these characters and who they are in their background. And then that carries you through the story. Likewise, you know, in copywriting, you want to show, not tell. And show people you understand. Don't just tell them, oh, I, I understand your pain. You know, tell them a story about someone who has the same problem. Better yet, tell them a story, a real story about someone who has the same problem and how they fixed it. So, Paul, we had chatted a little bit about coming up with really big ideas. And you mentioned that you've figured out, you've mastered the way to come up with really million-dollar big ideas. So, would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, I think what I said in my email was, and this was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, by the way. 
how to find million dollar big ideas by dicking around on the internet. Right, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, I want to do that. I spend way too much time you know, on the internet without the million dollar ideas. Let's uh, Right, so you might as well make it productive, right? And the exactly. nice thing is, is you can kind of do the same thing, right? That you're already doing. You're just doing it looking for ideas. So like, here's the basic thing, right? So I think it was Joe Sugarman who said it originally, was that you know, to be a great copywriter, you have to have specific knowledge about your market and you have to have general knowledge about the world at large, right? You know, a lot of times you, you find great ideas by linking those two things, right? And the example I love is back in the 70s. And if you guys don't know who Joe Sugarman is, anyone listening, he came up with blue blocker sunglasses. He's a multi-bajillionaire, probably made more money than any copywriter in history. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Read, buy and read any of his books. They're amazing. But he had this thing in the 70s called a pocket CB. And it was a walkie-talkie, right? But walkie-talkies were new. But people knew about them, but they were still kind of new. But the CB craze was big, right? So that was the general. Walkie-talkies were specific. Crossed them over. Pocket CB, right? That's the big idea. Yeah, I like it. And anybody who doesn't remember the 70s, there was, you know, shows on TV. BJ and the Bear was like about a trucker. And there were, you know, the Cannonball Run. And, you know, there were a whole bunch of movies. Convoy came out. Like there were a whole bunch of movies sort of in the late 70s that where the CB radio was everything. And it was a major plot point in everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when those ads came out. You know, he was listening to what was going on in the world and he linked two different ideas. So how do you do that now? Well, the nice thing is we have limitless information, right? The bad thing is we have limitless information, right? So you've got to kind of sort through it and figure out what's going on and what's going to be useful to you and what's not. So like the example I use is I wrote a control for a company called Patriot Health Alliance. It's a joint cream, you know, it comes in a little roll on, which is a little bit unusual, but it's not unusual enough that I wanted to make that like the selling point, right? And it didn't really have any super unique ingredients. It had natural versions of stuff that's in a lot of other pain creams. So it had like wintergreen and all this other stuff, all of which is great, right? It all works. But people have heard about it before. And if you have joint pain or you have a bad back or a sore neck or a bum shoulder, this is something you've dealt with for a long time. And if you're on a natural health website, chances are you've tried all this other stuff, right? Or at least you've tried some of them. It's not enough just to tell people that you've got this new formula that has all these things in it. Because you'll only get some people who have never heard of them before. You want to get all the people, right? So you've got to engage them with, and Todd Brown talks about this a lot about it, with a unique mechanism, right? You've got to find a really cool thing within your product research that you can hang your hat on that kind of is the hinge that makes the promo work. But before you get to that hinge, it opens the big door to all the money. You've got to have a way to intrigue people and get them to read it. Because even a great mechanism still needs something to pull people in. And here's how you do it. So... The headline for this is how a Pennsylvania coal fire led to an amazing joint pain breakthrough. And then the subhead tells you about the benefits, right? Because the headline is a total like, what? What the hell is that? You know, it kind of implies that there's a breakthrough. It says there's a breakthrough. So obviously, you know, it kind of lets you know if you have joint pain, this is for you. And then the subhead says, this natural remedy brings blessed relief in just minutes, lasts for up to 12 hours, and works on even your most stubborn joint pain. So I hit all the big pain points. And that all came through research, right? Like I know that obviously they're on a natural health website. They want natural nothing works fast, right? Like even curcumin, which works great, takes sometimes weeks or longer to kick in. Same thing with glucosamine. A lot of joint creams wear off really quickly. So last for up to 12 hours. And a lot of them don't work. If you have really painful, like really bad knees, this stuff does. So I hit all their big pain points and all their things they wanted. And then I went into the story of this city called Centralia, Pennsylvania, which a coal seam caught fire. It was a coal mining town. And it basically, like no one knew there was a problem. And then all of a sudden, you know, fire started springing up all over the town, buildings started collapsing. Now it's in a ghost town, you know, and it's still burning and it will burn for hundreds of years. And what I linked that to was the idea of inflammation. 
right? So if you have joint pain, you have inflammation, but you don't always have joint pain, right? Like it flares up, you know, like you'll bump your knee and all of a sudden your knee will just hurt for days. You'll turn to pick something up and your back goes out or you're carrying your grandkid and like your shoulder just spasms and you're in agony for a week. And people are always wondering, well, why does that happen, right? Well, so the story I told them was, well, you know, you have this inflammation in your cells and just like the fires burning under Centralia, Pennsylvania, the coal fires, you've got these fires of inflammation are smoldering inside every cell of your body, especially your joints. And when you bump your knee or twist your back or pick up your grandkid, they flare up. And here's why. And then I go into the mechanism, which is, you know, really boring science about like a specific molecule that, you know, causes inflammation and does a whole pain cascade thing. And, you know, it's too complex to tell people off the bat. But if you can get them in, you know, then we go into the reason why, right? Like why you still have this pain. But the story is what gets them in. So how do you find the story? That's when the dicking around the internet comes in. So I found that story on a website called atlasobscura.com. And Atlas Obscura started out as a book of exactly what it sounds like, weird places around the world, random facts about weird places around the world, really fascinating. And then they started a website. So they update it constantly. There's tons of stuff on there, you know, and sometimes just by going through that, you'll find all these interesting ideas. You know, other things I look at are just books like, there's a great one called How We Got to Now which basically was like how the modern world happened. Bill Bryson has an awesome book called At Home, which is like the history of all these weird everyday objects. There's also a book called, I think it's History of the World in 100 Objects or something like that. And if you just go on Amazon and start looking at any of those, you'll find all a bunch of them. Like there's one called Now I Know More, which is again, a whole book of weird, random trivia stories. And, you know, you fill your head with this stuff. And as you read this stuff, a lot of times ideas will pop up. And if you're looking for the link, right, sometimes you can find those links between whatever you're working on and the thing you're selling. Like, I just finished a promo and it hasn't been released yet, so I can't talk about the specific headline or anything. But, you know, it's a probiotic, right? And everyone in the world knows that, oh, probiotics, they do this stuff to your gut and they're good bacteria, they kill, get rid of the bad bacteria. No, no one wants to hear that, right? So I had to find a new way to say it. So I went on Amazon, started typing in, looking for books about probiotics and leaky gut and all this stuff. And you got to sort through all the crap, for want of a better word, with those kind of searches, because you get all these people who are just like selling whatever garbage they're selling by writing a crappy book about it. <laughs> you don't want those. But what I found was a great book called This Is Your Brain on Parasites, which was interviews with all these scientists and really well written too, but massive support about how gut parasites take over your whole body, right? And how any parasite takes your whole body. So like there's a parasite in cat poop that makes you like cats more. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. There's another that blew my mind. I didn't use this in the promotion so I can talk about it, where the flu makes you more social before you actually get sick. So there's a lag between when you get infected with the flu and when you manifest symptoms. But the flu needs to spread itself, right? That's how it survives. So if you're too sick to move and you're at home and you're sweating and you have chills and you're sneezing and coughing, you know, no one wants to be around you, right? <laughs> and you're not out in public. So it actually will make you go be social in those two to three days before you manifest symptoms when you're actually the most contagious. Yeah, I'm going to have to read this book. And I'm, I'm like really intrigued. Yeah. yeah, so you can see how I read that. And I was like, holy crap, here's my big idea, right? Like, here's this idea about how these parasites control you, which is way scarier, right? Yeah, and it seems to me that you probably kill it at trivia night at the local bar, you know, having gone through all oh, of yeah. this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but that also goes back to like, you know, specific knowledge about your market, right? So that book... I read that book because I was like, well, I need some more knowledge about this. I know all this other stuff, but this is new knowledge about this market, potentially. And I need to know this stuff. That's why I read that book. So that goes back to the Sugarman thing. But it also plays into the idea of, you know, finding the big idea in really weird, random places. Yeah. 
So once you have the big idea, is there a framework that you sort of bolt onto the back of it? Or, you know, is it specific to each different assignment, each product that you're writing for? Do you have a checklist that you're working against? I use a general outline, like a template pretty much. But that's really just to kind of give myself some structure. I do not do well with no structure. I just go around in circles and drive myself crazy. So about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I went to a seminar by Clayton Makepeace called Speedwriting. I believe you can actually buy the DVDs or replays from AWAI. I would recommend everyone buy it. It's expensive. It's probably like 3500 bucks or so, but it's 100% worth it. Best copywriting seminar I've ever been to. And again, I can't give away the outline because it's part of the seminar, but the outline he gives you and the process he shows you is just so good for organizing your ideas. And it's a result of, you know, 40 years of experience and super simple, but man, it kills it. And it's not the same. So I don't use the same thing for every promotion, but in terms of organizing ideas, there's a definite process that I swiped completely from Clayton. I was just going to say that I'm sure there's a lot more detail in the $3,500 program, but you can Google Clayton Make Pieces 20 point outline for sales pages, which is also really helpful and free if you can't afford the, the course. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of that stuff was actually a, a freebie before the seminar. So that may actually be the same. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It may be the same thing. If not, it's still a really good way to organize your thoughts. And I would recommend that anyone you know who wants to write faster, use a template. You may not end up with that template as your finished product, but it will at least yeah. allow you to get all the thoughts organized and get them on paper. And then you know, that's your biggest battle, right? Is getting stuff down on paper. And then you can start to cut and paste you know, move stuff around, start to figure out what works better, where, cut things out. And it's a much, much easier process than just sitting there and being like, okay, how do I make this work? Yeah, definitely. I've used that outline many times in recent projects. It's been really helpful. So I want to just know more about like where you are today and what do your projects look like? Like how many clients are you working with today? I just want more details about, about your current business. Right now, I'm working with probably three or four different clients on a variety of projects. And I'm also, you know, Paris always gives me crap about this, but I tend to do more than one project at a time. I find that I'm more creative that way when I have to shift my brain halfway through the day and work on something else. Even if it's just research, I just do better that way. So, I, and I don't recommend everyone do this. My ADD brain just works better that way. But yeah, I mean, I generally, like right now, I'm doing projects for, you know, Agora, Weiss Research and a couple other smaller clients who aren't in the financial space at all. Are you guys are asking about like what those deals look like or how do I get those deals? Or Yeah, how you structure those projects. Are you working more retainer model with a couple different clients or are you working with new clients every quarter? What does that look like? Yeah, I generally work with clients on a repeat basis. And the only way I find new clients now is if I get a referral or if you know I meet someone like you know at Titans, I may work with them or at another event if we connect well. But I don't really go out and find clients I don't do retainers generally. I'll do consulting work, but that consulting is a specific package, you know, 10 or 20 hours usually, and that's paid 100% upfront. Or I do project fees. So, you know, advance plus percentage of profits or bonus structure on the back end. I would actually advise anyone, unless you're really good at keeping boundaries, retainer deals can be very, very, very difficult because you can end up doing way more work than you should for that money. And the client can feel like they've kind of got you on the hook. I'm not saying never do them. But, you know, you've got to be very careful how you structure them. And you've got to be very clear on, you know, this gets you X hours of time per month, no more. If you want more, you got to pay for it. And you got to be very upfront about that. And you're going to have to constantly reinforce that during the relationship, even with a great client, you know, because business people, great business people are busy and they're crazy and they're always juggling 20 balls. And they'll be like, hey, hey, man, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, uh, can you just like write a sales page? Like, I, I, by, I, tomorrow. <laughs> by tomorrow. By tomorrow. Well, 
yeah, but it's going to cost double. <laughs> you know, it's double my hourly rate. So when I used to do that for some clients, I used to have an hourly rate that I would just either figure out what it would be, right? And I still do that with consulting agreements, right? Like I charge 500 bucks an hour. So that's what it costs to do consulting with me. So if you want 10 hours of my time, that's five grand. 20 hours of my time, that's 10 grand. It's, it's really straightforward. You know, in terms of per hour, I did that for a long time. And again, I did it with a client and, you know, he was okay with me being like, well, <laughs> if I have to drop everything to get this done in two days, I'm, I'm going to have to charge you double. So instead of a hundred, this was, it was a hundred an hour back then. I was like, instead of a hundred, it's going to be 200 an hour. And, you know, like, okay, fine. No problem. Understood. Since you mentioned money and $500 an hour for consulting, do you mind sharing roughly what you charge for sales pages? Oh yeah, no problem. I generally do. And this kind of varies depending on what the back end structure looks like. My rule of thumb is I want a project to have the potential to make like at a bare minimum 50 grand and ideally closer to a hundred. Now, not every project's going to do that, right? Because a lot of projects like your stuff doesn't get mailed or it doesn't get, you know, promoted the way it should, or, or it just doesn't work. You know, obviously we don't win every time, but as long as I get to that, and this is the discussion I have with clients, I say, well, this is my goal for every project I take, right? Like, here's my ballpark of what I want to make. So my advance is, you know, $20,000. And if we can get to 50 or a hundred on the back end, great. And then what I usually tell people is, you know, I'm doing more, just I want the entire fee up front. Not everyone goes for that. Like Agora will never do that. You know, that's just not how they roll. A lot of old school marketers will never do that. But a lot of newer ones will. They don't care. So what I say a lot is if you can't give your, bring yourself to like <laughs> ask for that full up front, just say, I don't really care whether you give me the money up front or in two halves. Whatever is easier for you. It doesn't matter to me. I'm more concerned about the back end. And what you'll find is that certain percentage of clients will just be like, oh, well, I'll just give it to you all up front then. Okay, no problem. I stumbled on that one totally by accident. Right. So if you adjust to whatever your advance is, if you're getting paid, you know, in two parts, you know, one on start and one on completion, try that. And, you know, you never know. A lot of clients will just say, okay, no problem. Obviously new clients, right? Like existing clients, they're used to working with you under certain structures. Paul, you mentioned that not all of your sales pages work or work as well as you had hoped. Will you tell us a little bit maybe about some of your biggest failures and what you did to either fix them or turn it around and make things work? I don't know if I can say huge, I mean, not beating the control, right? And that like, that makes me crazy. Like I get so pissed when I don't beat a control. Like, so I've got a, a client in a nutritional space and I didn't beat their control. And it's been like gnawing at me for months. So I went back to them. I'm like, look, I'm going to redo the lead and the headline. It'll cost you this much up front, same back end deal. But I want another swing at this. And, you know, so that's, that's how I'm dealing with it, right? Like I'm just getting back on the horse and saying the rest of the copy was good. They loved the copy. They thought it did really well. They were surprised when it didn't work. So I'm going back to the drawing board. And I think that's what you generally want to do if you can, if you have a good relationship with the client and you've had some wins for them in the past, they'll generally be happy to do that. If it's a new client, man, that's tough. Because if a lot of times if you don't, you know, if you don't win off the bat, then you're just done. Like, okay, I've got a good number. So <laughs> I got an email on LinkedIn out of the blue, like in 2013 from a guy named Mike Ward. And Mike Ward is the publisher over at Money Map Press at Agora. These guys are just killing it. Mike's an amazing marketer, really knows copy, hires top, top talent. And for some reason, he wanted to talk to me. So he was like, hey, I, you know, I've seen some of your work. Why don't you come down? We're looking to hire people. Come down to Baltimore. And it didn't work out. You know, like I didn't really have a lot of financial experience at that time. Plus, I was like, there's no way I'm moving to Baltimore. <laughs> right? No offense to anyone who lives in Baltimore, but like my entire family is in Massachusetts. My wife's family is in New York and Massachusetts. Wouldn't really work for us to pick up and move to Baltimore. And it was like Tahiti or like, you know, Hawaii. I'd be like, oh, that's a little better, right? Like, you know, that's, that sounds pretty good. So I ended up not getting the gig with them, but, you know, Jed Canty, who's one of the head copywriters over there, 
was like, hey, talk to this guy over here. He's really, really smart dude, runs the financial division over at Newsmax. And I was like, all right, man, this is my big break. This is my big break. And I just bombed. I just, I, I just freaked out. And like, I turned in, I don't know what the hell was wrong with this promo. It was looking back at it. It's just such a piece of crap. And the publisher was like, you know, I understand this is your, your first swing, but uh, there's so many problems with this. I don't even know where to begin and I don't even want to edit it. Whoa. And I came back, I was like, look, man, I'll take another swing at it. Just let's jump on the phone for an hour and tell me what's going on. And he was like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's so all over the place, man. It's just, it's not bad writing. And there's like a lot of good elements in it. It's just like, it feels like you threw together <laughs> six different promos because I panicked. Right. And I was like, I'm just going to make this like, I'm going <laughs> to go after everyone I can. And it just bombed. I mean, it didn't even get a chance to bomb because they didn't even, they, they just paid me a kill fee. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so everyone has those failures, right? Like, if anyone tells you they have, like, a 100% win rate, they're full of crap. I mean, Paris has by far the highest win rate I've ever heard of, and I think he wins, like, four out of five times. So even Paris doesn't hit a home run every time. And I would say even other A-listers, I mean, they certainly don't have his hit rate. I don't know for sure, but I would... You know, there's somewhere between 50 and 80%, you know, and some like, you know, Jim Rutz was, I mean, he's had some of the biggest controls ever for boardroom, but I know that sometimes he would do awesome and he would like literally hit these grand slams that would mail for years and make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And other times it would just bomb, right? He either bombed or he made all the money. Wow. Paul, I'm just checking the time. I know we're already out of time. There's still more questions I want to ask you, but we'll just have to have you back on again. So if anyone's listening and they want to find you, get in touch with you, ask you a question, where can they find you? (laughs) I am like the hardest copywriter to find. I know you are. Uh, You are. You hide out. You're you're a little bit like Paris that way. Yeah, totally. My mentor has taught me well. Yeah. So the easy way to find me is on Facebook. Just Paul Martinez. Look me up. Uh, I'm the doofy looking guy with the big beard and glasses who knows all the people in the copywriting world. I'm on a lot of copywriting groups. So if you like post something to my attention and ping me, I'll maybe have time to answer a question, but I don't really use my website for anything. So it's not the best place to find me. I it's paulmartinezcopywriting.com, but it's, <laughs> you'll see when you go there, it's kind of a smart ass website, <laughs> which explains yeah, it's a little bit of a sales letter. It's a little bit of a sales letter. But the headline is, congratulations, you've made the best decision of your life to hire me as your copywriter. And I go into like, oh, wait, you're not sure? Oh, okay. Well, here's the thing. You know, and then I talk a little bit about, like, I'm not going to promise you the world. Like, you've been around the block, man. You know what's real and what's not. So just look at my samples. If you like my stuff, give me a call. If not, cool. Which some <laughs> of that's like conscious positioning, right? But a lot of it's, I don't want business through my website. I want business from relationships and referrals. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing and being really open with us and sharing everything. We really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'd love to do it again. It's been fantastic, Paul. Thanks. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.